Storytellers AZ, a discussion group for people who make a living telling stories. Welcome to another Storytellers AZ. I'm Wendy Connie Beer, and uh, to my left is... I'm Chris Connery, salesman and podcaster. My name is Tyler Hurst. I am a writer and other things. My name is Sarah Marcus. I'm a new member, and I write beatnik poetry and recently discovered short story writing. So uh, Oh, well, I write blogs, so... <laughs> you know, you've got us down... <laughs> if we're you've showing off, you know, i got to buy my own blog. I have, like, two. So what's our topic this time, Tyler? Oh, our topic this time is, uh, does writing shape our experiences, or do our experiences shape our writing? Um, a lot of my... Uh, so what do you mean by that, Tyler? Oh, what do I mean by that? <laughs> um, a lot of times there are situations that we may, we may have, that I've had in my life, for sure, where I've thought in my head as I was experiencing them, man, this is going to be a really great story. And what I'm thinking about at the time is that I really want to experience it as deeply as possible. Not that I want to take out a, a notepad and start taking notes, but that I want to experience it as, as much as possible and, and, and get into as far as possible so I have something to share and a life experience and, and all that stuff. I think it's more of a uh, not willing to hold back uh, anything. And that, and the more experiences I have in life and the more I, I delve into them, the better, the, the better my writing gets. As opposed to someone who's starting from the writing thing and they're going out trying to observe life and trying to see what goes on, uh, trying to find stuff to write about, I'm, I try to do the opposite. See, I, I have to imagine that there's a quote out there somewhere that says something about, you know, you've got to go out and just experience it. You can't make it up and then go hope for it, right? You can't you can't set a goal of, you know, I want to go do this and then just do it. you just got to go do stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's also the difference between like a journalist and a, an author or writer, because a journalist usually covers what's already there, and they talk about what's already there. So as an analyst or a columnist or anyone like that. As opposed, so they're they're reporting instead of discovering. Yes. And and, there, and, there, and there's, there's little things that not all of us can experience. Such you know, as a car accident on the I-10. I can't. Okay. <laughs> Just today. Anyway, I was down taking some pictures, trying to take some pictures, and what what happened was was something that I definitely didn't plan on, but... I was horribly intimidated by three or four cops on uh, in, in a situation where I was waiting to get a traffic a traffic ticket written for me. And although, and please do not take this as, this as far as you as some people might, but for a second, I felt a little bit of the fear that a lot of minorities may experience in dealing with the police. Now, I, I it's nowhere near it. I get it, but I'm a little closer to understanding how scary that must be to be a black guy pulled over in a nice car or a Hispanic looking person anywhere in Arizona or just kind of a, of, of a, of a, of a fear of you're not really sure what's going to happen next. These people are supposed to protect you, but now you're scared to death of them. Uh, tell us why you had that fear. Exactly. Uh, I, cause I didn't know what was going to happen. Cause they, they, it was, they, they, they went from serving and protecting to kind of ridiculing me as we, as we stood there. And although no, I mean I wasn't I wasn't beaten down or anything like that, and and God I didn't want that, but just the idea that I really had no idea what was going to go on when I'm pulled over in a in a car, I know the guy's probably not going to jump in the car and beat and beat me up. Um, if I am drunk in public and the cop comes at me, I know what to expect because I've done something wrong. Like I know what I've done wrong. Mm-hmm. But in this situation, I kind of disagreed with that, and and it was uh, it was an interesting experience because I remember as soon as they asked for my ID, said we're going to write you a ticket. That's when I took out my phone and I was like, oh, this is going to be a great story as long as I survive it. 
Well, it would be a great story, just someone else got to tell it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it's important that you don't go out looking for stories like that. Because, I mean, I didn't go on there and start throwing things to the cops and say, hey, look at me, come screw with me, because I'm trying to prove a point, or whatever that was. Occupy Chandler. <laughs> or occupy the, <laughs> occupy the off-ramp from off-ramp on Chandler Boulevard on I-10 is what it was. Um, but a lot of people seem to to go out and try to create uh, chaos in their lives uh, in order to get to get stories or to discover that or to poke at people. Do you really think they do that intentionally, though? Some do. So, so I, I'm going to actually take this more specific. Yeah. You've been known as someone who intentionally antagonizes or provokes people into a story. So I, I find it interesting that you just said that you, because that's kind of the the public persona that you cultivated over the last few years. Um, I don't think I think that my intentions, uh, as far as poking people, are to hopefully uh, make sure that we all learn something rather than trying to turn it into a story because um, me enraging others does no good unless someone grows from it. Sure. And so if I was actually using, you know, using poking people on the internet as a, as book fodder, I'd have a, a lot more of a TMZ style website at this point. I would, I would talk enormous smack about people and I don't. I mean, I'm, I, I, I like to argue, that's for sure, but my intention is never to, uh, to create, to create the story. It's to learn something together or whatever. And, you know, everyone has their own ways, right? What's your way, Sarah? Why don't you tell us how you get your experiences for your stories? Well, I was trying to think about that. Um, ironically, I think I'm a little bit different in that um, I have a really, um, I have the ability where I have really vivid dreams to the point that they're complete script and plot lines from like beginning lo- to like end. lucid dreaming? Like you can control yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's in color. I could tell you the detail of the carpet, the wallpaper pattern, the whole nine yards. And I found that the majority of the storylines that I have saved in my little folder on my computer, about 80% of them came from my dreams. And some of them are mixed matches of things that happened to me over my life or, you know, backstories all mushed together, which my brain does a really nice job of taking all these little pieces of my life experience and putting together in a really unusual story that I probably wouldn't come up with if I was consciously awake. So I, your subconscious really does a lot of that sorting and filtering of yeah, your life experience I'm for you. Really jealous of yeah, that, you are lucky. Awesome. Yeah, no joke. She's actually the second person that I've heard tell me that yeah and i second person in this group i i used to think that everybody could do this until no. i really started talking no. to some of my friends and realizing that my, my wife is like you my wife is one of those people that wakes up and tells me the most absurd amazing dreams and very detailed like very deep down to the clothes people wearing the to- color of their toenails like all sorts exactly. of completely quacky stuff. And I'm the dude that wakes up and goes, I don't think I dreamt anything last night. Like, I don't remember. But exactly. my waking mind, I have a, a near photographic memory. Ah, you see. So you it's get a the benefit flip. somewhere else. Yes. Right. Cause, I'm jealous of both of you. <laughs> sorry. It's a, it's a blessing. All right. Curse. Um, exactly. So is my lucid dream. Sure. So, yes. you know, I, I, I've, I had to, I, I'm doing a, a keynote presentation this Saturday and I'm, a little bit terrified at this point because I'm very unprepared. What's it for? For laid off Camp Tucson. Um, mm. And uh, I spoke at laid off Camp in the West Valley. Um, I've been a big supporter of theirs from, from the get-go with laid off Camp. And uh, they asked me to speak um, at the Tucson one. I kind of joked, oh, I should keynote since I'm a, a laid off Camp success story. And they go, okay. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> and uh, that's, it's pretty much exactly like that. There might have been a couple other four-letter words in there. Um so I'm putting together my presentation today. Um, I'm remembering the various things. I'm remembering my actual experiences 
from the events. And and that's what's allowing me to tell the story because my story is actually, I think, pretty cool. And I think it's going to be pretty inspiring to the people there, folks that are laid off looking for work and, and looking for an olive branch, looking for a hand. Um, you know, not someone to give them food stamps or, uh, you know, rule over that, hopefully, but, you know, people that, you but know, just a little bit of help. A push in the just right direction. Something. Yeah. Right. And, and some inspiration. So I'm going to be able to tell that story. So I'm, I'm sitting there going through my slide deck. And I, I'm not a person that puts a lot of words on slides. I'm a firm believer in, you know, one or two words, a big picture and, you know, something goofy. Um, and so I'm going through my slides and I'm putting them together and I'm, I'm forming the story in my head though. And I'm forming the story like, this is what I'm going to say when I see this picture. This is what this reminds me of. This is that experience at the laid-off camp at the the first one over in Gilbert that just totally blew my mind the way people responded to it, and this will be the experience that I talk about, uh, you know, talking with Susan after I got laid off. Like, what the hell am I gonna do? And the thoughts and the emotions I went through, you know, when that all went down, um, you know, the panic I felt. And I'm normally a pretty level-headed person, at least on the outside, and so some of those things are, are really powerful for me. So I don't think I could ever go and try to experience that on purpose. But because I have experienced that, I'm able to retell that story in a way that I think I can frame and, mm-hmm. and use that story as a weapon. You know, I have a goal in mind. I'm going to use the story to get there, and I'm going to be able to shape my experiences to match that. And, in fact, you can probably use that story for a lot of different things, mm-hmm. not just for laid-off camp this weekend. True. It's a really you boring bedtime story, life. though. Well, I, I would imagine it would be. That could come in handy, though. Yeah, true. You have two kids, two small kids. I do. Boring stuff. Stuff's good. Well, how do you now? How do you keep track of all this stuff? I know that a lot of people. I've always been told as a writer, you should always have a notepad in your back pocket or some sort of recording device. I've never done that. Like, the only reason I, I whipped out the video today is because I was thinking, like, if I get arrested, I <laughs> evidence. I want I want so at least my parents to know what happened or what you know something like that. Like that was the only reason I wasn't doing it so I could look back on it later because I haven't watched it. I'm sure I sound like an idiot. Um, I think yes. there was some yelling in there, and I kept repeating the same question. But either way, it was an accurate representation of what exactly happened. No editing, no nothing, obviously. Um, but I, rem- I would much rather remember it from how the feelings that I have, because uh, emotions are so much more powerful than um, than than facts or, or truths or, or, or anything like that, because they always talk about the people don't remember what you say. They always remember how you made them feel. Right. Um, today, I felt scared, and that was a good lesson for me to learn that hey maybe you probably shouldn't do that anymore or or even just to be able to to experience something a little bit different that that doesn't happen every day i mean katie does tell me get out of the house so you know technically i guess i should be uh rewarded for for doing something like that but it's uh it's important that you don't that you don't jump in the situations looking just to write down the details because the second you start to observe what you're doing you're not not a part of it anymore it, it's a schrodinger thing you, yeah. can't, you can't observe connection. You can't yeah. observe an experience at the same There's time. There's been a bunch exactly. of a bunch of stories online uh, this week about about how people are at concerts instead of being at the concert, they're waving their phones in the air and they're taking really crappy cell phone video. Or during um, dinners and meetups, people have all have their smartphones out. Or right. during children's birthdays, everyone's taking videos and photographs of the birthday and they're actually missing the yeah. actual birthday. So, yeah. so I, I have you. You have kids. I have kids. They don't. Yes, they do. Um, and, and I have this constant pull between. Should I be taking some sort of picture or video of this so I can put it on Facebook so my family that's not here can experience this, you know, secondarily or, or actually being there? And, and it actually has been times where and it goes both directions, both the wife and I and, you know, the, Melissa will pose the kids and we'll try to pose them for what feels like days. And it's, it's usually the five, ten minutes. Um, and I'm like, just 
just experience what's going on. Like we'll, yeah. we'll, the pictures will be fine. Natural pictures, totally fine. Let's just let that happen. But let's not try to waste an hour at the you know Schnapp Farms pumpkin patch thing trying to take a picture. Let's just go do stuff. And and I I get caught in the same trap though where I want you know, want that perfect memory and that perfect photo and I'm trying to force that experience and force that story. Yeah. Instead of just letting it happen. Well, I've actually been going through all my old, uh, my parents' old videos from when we were kids. All the, um, mm-hmm. we used to set up a video camera and just watch us open presents on Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'd just be an hour and a half of us <laughs> coming in and out of the screen and going back and forth. And at the time, we thought, man, this, you know, you're never going to watch these again. But of course, it was really cool. I saw my grandparents that died twenty uh, some years ago. I saw them for the first time in five years on that, and they. We're still alive. I, I know they're not still alive, but it was it was so fantastic to be able to see that. But you could tell that we weren't acting as if the camera was there. Like we right. have we have a couple of things of where uh, it made sense to set up a camera on a tripod, and and we've done that. And I'm I, I I love doing that. But even in even in events now, there's hardly any pictures of of us of me doing anything. Uh, with KDM vacation, we never, we hardly ever take pictures. We have to force ourselves to, just because you're you're busy experiencing life instead of just, instead of taking pictures of it. And it's nice to have you know some sort of milepost markers, I guess, or pictures every now and then. Like, hey, let's take a picture right before we go out for something, or, or um, you know, Sunday morning, just just because we're hanging out, and that's important. Sure. But those are only important over time, as compared relative compared to other ones. Um, but you can't, like you said, you can't get so caught up doing those that you're not experiencing. And I think it's an easy trap, especially as technology. I mean, yeah. we all carry eight megapixel cameras in our pocket now with full HD video. Like, it's easy to get caught up doing that. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, until you realize how horrible that video always is. You, it's yeah, bad. It's not that well, bad. If, if you're not planning to use it in the moment, usually. It's great evidence for if you go to court, though. <laughs> then you turn it on, it's, it's vertical. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to do that. And by the way, uh, make sure that you leave space on your smartphones because the video takes it up really quick and then you'll lose really good parts at the end. Um, just a tip. <laughs> a little, little pro tip there. Not that Tyler would know anything directly about that from today's experiences. Yeah. So anybody else? Let's go. Yeah. Uh, just a passing thought. I think, uh, what a lot of it comes down to is that we're attracted to the video and the photographs because, as you mentioned with your Christmas story with your grandparents, what you probably were seeing were nuances, little tiny things yes. that memory yeah. forgets. Right. However, the double edged sword on the opposite side with memory is that memory captures the emotion of the moment, mm-hmm. which then translates often really well into writing. And that that's what um, allows you to write something that's so powerful and strong is because you've edited out those details and you captured just that essence right. of the memory. So it's a double-edged sword. Which do you want? Do you want the little tiny nuances like your grandmother always had this nervous tick she used to do with her finger that you completely forgot about until you watched that? Or did you want the feeling that she gave when she was talking? And so it's you know kind of... You're, Kind of caught between wanting uh, both of those. Well, I remember, I, I remember what they smell like. My grandparents smell like, and what their hands feel like, um, mm. just from touching my face or my shoulders, giving me hugs. You're gonna make me cry, Tyler. Yeah, but um, <laughs> don't do that. I really, I, I really do remember that Marlboro lights. Actually, what they smelled like. Um, <laughs> uh, and w- the video was great to see them moving again because I remember mm. all those little things, all those little things, mm. and, I'm, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But it was, it was just seeing them. Standing up and, it all and, put and walking around. And it was cool also to see this, also the, the six year old version of me, who was a whole different, who was a whole different guy. Like I couldn't and can't even comp- comprehend what was going through my head at that point. Um, and that's a really fun thing to be able to do. So I think seeing yourself can be very helpful because then you can say things like, oh, I've grown or look how much happier I was. That's, that's helpful. But, 
Um, just but putting yourself behind the camera or behind the reporter's notebook or mm-hmm. just disassociating yourself with anything um, is tough. Well, I think that's an interesting interesting point. Is and, and I hadn't put the analogy out of just now. And you said you know putting yourself behind the camera or behind the notebook. I mean, it is a layer of separation. You're putting up a, a barrier, even semi artificially, between you and the real experience. Because now, instead of being able to actually be a part of the story, you're busy capturing the story. You can't wrestle with your daughters while you film it. Uh, it's very difficult. I have tried. <laughs> yeah. And even if you could, it's looks you couldn't. It looks horrible. It, huh? it, it looks like shaky cam footage of JFK or something. It's real bad. So, uh, no. But I mean, putting that barrier between you, though, you are creating a layer of separation, and it, it's it's a noticeable layer. Like if I go back and look at the videos I've taken. So I, I was going through my phone um, when I cleared off my last phone before my, my new iPhone came, um, and there was a video almost exactly a year ago at Schnapp Farms uh, where we rode the roller coaster. My daughter was three and a half at the time, almost four, but she's a daredevil, and she was dead set she was going to ride that roller coaster, and I was convinced we'd get up on platform, and she totally was out. Totally thought she'd be like, no <laughs> peace, I'm not doing this. But I got my camera running on my iPhone the whole time, so we're getting into the thing, and she's sitting there, and I can watch like the, the sort of fear, sort of excited... And then the thing takes off, and so I've got this whole first lap of the course on my phone. Um, and I watched that again, and I hadn't watched it probably since, like, the day after I took it. And it was amazing to watch, like, the differences in her and the differences in me. But just knowing that I was doing the camera instead of really experiencing it, I, I kind of got a little sad at the moment going, yeah. I was busy work, holding that flipping camera and trying, if this thing goes off the roller coaster, I'm going to swear, like, all those sort of things, it, instead of actually that's, just being there and experiencing one, it. Because cameras are not... Are they are not disposable type of type of things? I mean, even a, anything else you can toss away, but you're not going to toss the camera away, right? So I mean, it, but after after riding the roller coaster again with her this year, just the differences, and, and it's such a highlight for me to go back and watch that video and see the differences just year over year. But even just the the memory differences by not worrying about having the camera this time made a big difference. So that barrier is a it's it's a real thing, you know. Even if it's a camera or a notebook or or just a focus on trying to take down everything going on around you. And that barrier is going to be cognizant of. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, you look at every uh, event we go to. Um, I was at Chris uh, Van Slyke's birthday last weekend, and I was on the, my phone for like three minutes of the hour I was there. But of course, the picture came out, and I was and I was on it. But I made a conscious effort to not just to not be on the phone, um, just to watch people and look at the and 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 and, and look at everything, watch the videos, and um, it was a really cool experience. Wendy, do you have anything to add? Because you're just being all oh. quiet and crying. <laughs> I'm not crying. Okay. Not yet. He's crying. Yet. She's teary-eyed. No. There's no crying in podcasting. No. You had to bring up the grandparents thing, didn't you? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Threw me a lot. Well, next time we'll talk about fraternities. Uh, <laughs> and that's it. And um, on that note. Another, uh, tell, another episode of Storytellers AZ. Uh, thank you for listening. Storytellers AZ is a podcast and a support group of sorts that meets the second and fourth Wednesday of every month at Gangplank in downtown Chandler, 250 South Arizona Ave. Um, if you have any questions or would like to submit an idea or be on the show or be a part of it, uh, email tyler at gangplankhq.com or check us out at storytellersaz.com. Thank you for listening to Storytellers AZ. We'll see you next time. <laughs>